I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask just as little moving around as possible tonight. And if we could shut that door. And y'all help me preach this tonight. This is an important word. And it needs to get out, not just here, but out to the wherever God wants to send it. But this is something that needs to be preached in this time that we're living. But Lord, we just humble ourselves. We come to you tonight in Jesus' name and through his precious blood. And Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for the word of the Lord. Where will we be today without the word? Lord, we thank you for the word and we bless you. And Lord, as we get into the word of the Lord tonight, I'm asking you that the precious Holy Spirit would move upon every single person that's going to be hearing this, those that are hearing it live, those that are going to be hearing it through podcast, maybe driving down the road, maybe they're watching it, uh, you know, on the internet or whatever. But Lord, let your precious Holy Spirit move upon every single person right now that's going to be watching this and listening to this. And help us, Lord, that there would be the Holy Spirit preparing our hearts and our minds to be good, fertile soil for the Word of God. And Lord, that this would go out as living seeds of truth as you speak through me. Everything needs to be spoken, sown into good, fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit. Take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, let there be an anointing to break in and pierce through and deal with things that need to be dealt with, like a hammer that breaks through things, a, a sword that penetrates. Lord, let there be a washing of the water of the word. But also, Lord, let there be a good, healthy fear of God, a conviction. Lord, as we thank you for the power, the ministry of the Holy Spirit to convict and to draw. And Lord, we ask you that this will be powerful and everything accomplished in that you will be done. And we take authority over the enemy. Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So, Lord, we submit this unto you. And we take authority and we bind up everything of the devil right now. And everybody's agreeing with me. We bind up anything that would try to hinder this. And people's hearts and people's minds, um, hindering it from getting where it needs to go, doing what it needs to do. We bind it now. We command you to back off in Jesus' name. Lord, let your mighty angels clear away any hindrances. Because as we preach the word of God, Lord, we ask you to back up your word and confirm it with signs. Let there be an awesome anointing. And we stand on the promise that your word will not return void, but go for it and accomplish that which you sent it for it to do. So, Lord, we thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be said in Jesus' name. Amen. Or those that are going to follow along in the word of the Lord, um, I have several scriptures. It's one of different reasons I didn't have notes printed out, but they'll be uploaded. So I want to jump into this, but again, I'm going to ask everybody, if you would, just give me your best ear tonight. Just focus in on what God's saying, as little moving around as possible, no distractions, because we're living in a time where this needs to be heard, you know, um, Many people are preaching in a way that focuses too much on the here and the now. You know, we're, we're only going to be here for about 100 years or less, okay? Eternity is multiplied millions and millions of years. You know, people are just focused on this little sliver of time. And not only that, but, you know, there's so many distractions. People don't want to preach the whole counsel of God right now. But you know what? We need to, as I deal with this tonight, we need to consider both the kindness and the sternness of God. Because God, yes, he is an amazingly loving father. He's very patient. He's more patient. He's more patient than we are. He's long-suffering. He's merciful. You know, all of that. He is all of that. But you have to understand something, too. The Bible says consider the kindness and the sternness of God. The kindness of God will extend love and forgiveness and keep extending it, keep extending it. But if people don't humble themselves and accept the Lord for real and really repent and deal with stuff, eventually it will turn into judgment and wrath. So that warm season of grace and mercy eventually becomes a cold season of judgment and wrath. And so considering both the kindness of God but the sternness of God, one who is very patient at the same time, the one like we talked about last week, that he will not tolerate sin but deal with him. All right, so I'm just going to kind of pick up here. <clears throat> this is kind of where we left off last week. We talked about the tares and the wheat. How Jesus said that the wheat is in a field. The wheat is God's people, the harvest. 
but there's tares among the wheat. The tares look just like wheat, but it's not wheat. It's like some kind of a religious person, but they don't have the same DNA, you see. And the Bible, Jesus said very clearly that God will send his angels to clear out the tares out from among God's people. He'll clean them out, bundle them up for judgment. But then he'll put the wheat to be gathered into the barns, okay? So picking up kind of where we left off last week, I'm going to read some scriptures and just talk about some things tonight. And I'm entitling this Breaking Free. Um, Matthew 13, 47, Jesus said again, the kingdom of heaven is like a huge dragnet. I may have seen these boats have these massive nets you throw out, okay? And the, that dragnet is cast into the sea and it gathers in fish of every kind. So it's a massive influx of fish. And when this is filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers but the bad they threw away. You see, once again, we're seeing how God's separating the good and the bad. And Jesus said, so it will be at the end of the age that the angels will come forth and they will take out the wicked from among the righteous. See, God knows who are really his and who are not his. You may be able to fool a pastor. You may be able to fool the people you go to church with. You can play games, but I'm gonna tell you something. You'll never fool God. And the, the angels would throw them. It says this, right? I'm just reading it straight out of the word. The angels will come forth and pull the wicked out from among the righteous and throw them into the furnace of fire in the place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In 1 John 2, 18, John said this. He said, children, it is the last hour. Just as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. For this we know that it is the last hour. Look, listen to this though. They went out from us. There's going to be people that are among God's people that are just religious. They're not really the Lord's. They've never had a DNA change in their spirit. They've never been born of God truly and changed. And it says that they went out from us. That's the tares separated out. The, the bad fish removed, if you will. But it says they were not really of us. Not really. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that it would be shown that they are not of us. Are you seeing a pattern here? God separates the wheat from the tares. He's separating. But John says to, his, to God's people, his remnant, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you all know. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie is in the truth. So there is an anointing of the Holy One that is in God's true people. And let me tell you something, that anointing will seal you. That anointing will keep you on track. You guys are quiet tonight. Some of y'all need to help me out. Using my wife's back there, cheering me on, okay. But I love that scripture. It says they went out from among us because they were never really truly of us. God knows who are his and who aren't. In 1 Timothy 4.1, but the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter days, some will abandon, will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceiving, that's translated seducing spirits. It's demonic activity trying to suck people away, trying to pull people in all kinds of things, the occult, trying to pull them into sexual immorality, etc. You go on and on, but something, there's seducing spirits in the earth that's trying to seduce God's people away. And it also says doctrines of demons. And there's many doctrines of demons, but any, let me just say this, any doctrine that teaches people in any way that they can live in sin and go to heaven when they die is a doctrine of demons. Don't ever forget that. It's not how it works. If you can live in sin and go to heaven, there was no point in Jesus coming and dying on a cross in the first place. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. I'm just going through some scriptures right now. The Bible, Paul was speaking to a church here. And he said to this church, he said, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. 
Examine yourselves. Now, why would Paul say this to a church? Because he knew that there's going to be tares among the wheat. He knew that as that dragnet went out and came in, that there was going to be good and bad fish there. He knew that some of them would end up leaving because they were never really of the faith, really. They were never really changed. They were just religious. But he told them, he told the Corinthians, he said, you better test yourselves and make sure that you're in the faith. You better examine yourselves or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. One more scripture, and now I'll get into some of this. Matthew 7, 16, I always put this in our pamphlets that we give out because we live in such a religious area in the Bible Belt, you know? There's so many people that know who Jesus is. But I'm going to tell you, I think you guys understand this. You can know who Jesus is. You can know everything about him and still go to hell when you die. It's not about knowing. The Bible says demons know and tremble. It's not about knowing who he is. It's about knowing him. And that's what this is talking about. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? So every good tree will bear good fruit. And every bad tree will bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. Nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, Jesus says, will be cut down and thrown in the fire. So then you'll know them by their fruits. And he goes on to say this, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, there's a lot of people called Jesus Lord. He said, not all of them will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father in heaven. And many, this is a scary scripture. He says, many will say to me on that day. Think about that for a moment. Many, he's talking about judgment day. He said, many are going to say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, we cast out demons, we performed miracles, we did all these works, we did all these things for you. And Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And he's going to throw them into hell. How extremely terrifying that day is going to be for many people that believed that they were going to be saved. But they never really truly knew the Lord. They never truly got things right. There is a great sifting that's going to happen in these last days. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. I'm just going through scriptures tonight. I'm just reading the Bible. If anybody has a problem with this sermon tonight, they got a problem with God's word, man, because I'm just reading scriptures. I'm not giving opinion. 2 Thessalonians 2, 3. Let no one in any way deceive you. Remember what Jesus said about the last days. I talked about this last week. They said, what about the last days? And Jesus said, watch out that nobody deceive you. So there's going to be great deception in the last days. But Paul said that the day of the Lord, it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. The apostasy is translated a great falling away or a great rebellion. So listen to this. I'm going to read this again. Let no one deceive you in any way, for the day of the Lord will not come until the apostasy comes first. All right, that's a really good translation of that Greek word apostasia because what an apostate is, an apostate is somebody that walked with the Lord for a time, but then they turned their back on him and they departed from him. So that's a scary scripture right there. So again, you're seeing the wheat and the tares separated. You're seeing the good and bad fish separated. You're seeing here how the Lord is going to judge. He's going to look at fruit. Okay, there's going to be an examination. And it says this, it says that the day of the Lord will not come until there's this apostasy, till there's this falling away this rebellion that happens so the last days are already upon us it's already happening and we've already seen many that have fallen away it's an end time prophecy 
But the Bible also says that they're going to depart because they were never really of us in the first place. This is just God cleaning house, removing the bad fish from the good. So the apostasy must come first. And then the man of lawlessness will be revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above everything, every so-called God or object of worship, so that the Antichrist will even take his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was with you, I was telling you these things? Do you not know that, those, that him that restrains now, that the time will come when he will be revealed? But right now he's being restrained. I don't want to get into end time prophecy too much, but here in what the Bible calls the last days before Jesus comes, there's going to be great pressure. And either people are going to truly get right with God for real, or they're going to be sifted out from among his people. God's going to clean house. He's not playing games. But this is what the Bible says, is that the latter part of that portion I was reading for this reason, God will send them. Listen, let me stop back a little bit more on verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 2.10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. They didn't love the truth. We need a love deep within us for the truth. Amen? We need to love the truth. And verse 11 says, for this reason, God will send it. They didn't love the truth, okay? For this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they will believe what's false in order that they may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. So last week I talked about different things along these lines but this is kind of like part two of that continuing on but this is revival sermons this is the type of sermons that kind of draw the line in the sand you know those that are really going to go after God and those that aren't I think that some people in their incredible arrogance think well you know I'll go give God a chance or something like that or I gave God a chance or whatever you, know, you realize how insanely arrogant that even could possibly be i mean what you need to be doing is getting on your face with tears and repentance and asking god to give you a chance but the antichrist spirit i talked about last week i can't rewind and go back to that much but the antichrist spirit is a very religious spirit anti in the greek can mean against but it also can read instead of so it's a counterfeit so the antichrist spirit is a religious spirit and the religious spirit is going to deceive the masses and so this religious spirit makes people believe that by whatever their good works various religious activity all these different things they think that they're going to be saved based on that or based on the fact that they go to church or all these, you know. Listen, the only thing that's going to save anybody is going to be their faith in Christ alone. But if somebody's truly put their faith in Christ and it's real and they're born again, they're going to be a different person. The new birth of God that comes in us changes who we are as human beings. You have to understand. This was the principal difference between wheat and tares. You understand that wheat and tares look the same, but they have a different DNA. They're not the same. And that's the difference, that the DNA of God Almighty by His Spirit, a spiritual DNA, has to come inside of us and change who we are, okay? I'm trying to use something in the natural to help understand the spiritual here. But it's a new birth. Just like, for example, in the natural, your DNA will produce your eye color, your hair color, your height, etc., etc. In the spiritual, when God's heavenly DNA comes into your spirit, you cannot be the same. You can't be. You're going to begin to want things that you didn't want before. You're going to want the truth. You're going to want the Lord. Things that you 
wanted before, all of a sudden you don't want it. And it's interesting because my wife's testimony is a glaringly obvious example of that. She came out of so much sin, but yet when she was truly born of God, she knew that certain things were wrong. She just knew it. She's like, I've got to quit doing this. I've got to start doing this. How did she know this when she grew up in a heathen home that didn't know God from a hole in the ground? She only knew it by the Spirit of God in her. And the Bible says about this new birth that you are a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. This new creation has other uh, descriptive terms associated with it. That, that God will circumcise your heart. That God will take out a heart of stone. That's a good descriptive term. And give you a heart of flesh. That the candle of the Lord would be lit. That the word of God would be written in your heart. There's all these different descriptive terms, but by what the letter of the law under Moses could never do because people tried and they tried and they tried and they would live moral lives. But what the law could never do through works, God did by sending his son that now we can actually be a new creation. And I know that many of you feel this way too, but... The Lord is enough for me. I don't go to church to be entertained or some social club. I want him. So the Antichrist spirit, Christ means the holy and the anointed one. I want you to really think about these two terms here. Christ means holy and anointed one. All right, so the Antichrist spirit is going to be against the holy. The Antichrist spirit will cause people to snicker and mock the holiness of God. They think that godly convictions are stupid. They have no reverence for God's house, for his presence. You know, the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy understanding. People that have that religious Antichrist spirit about them they think that holy convictions, people that live a righteous life, people that guard themselves from pollution in this world, they think that that's stupid. They mock the holy. But that's an antichrist religious spirit that's against the holiness. Is this making sense? But it's also against the anointing. The antichrist spirit in a religious form is the principal spirit behind all of this anti-revival, anti-tongues, anti-power of God, anti-demonstrations uh, of God's power, anything to do with the power of the Holy Ghost. They hate that. They mock it. They can't stand it. It's an Antichrist spirit. And this is what the Antichrist spirit, the Bible says in Matthew 7, 6, which I've read this recently but don't give what's holy to dogs and don't throw your pearls to swine why because they'll trample them underfoot they mock they think it's stupid and then it says that they'll tear you to peace they'll come after you it's an antichrist spirit i can't recap too much from last week but the antichrist spirit is, is strong in these last days you're seeing it in government. You see it in the educational system. You see it in the media. Anything to do with Jesus, even his name, stirs up all kinds of hell. You've seen it. I mean, just go someplace and just say the name of Jesus. They want to censor that. They can't stand his name. They can't stand what he stands for. They can't stand the word of God. What is it? It's an antichrist spirit. They want him out of government they want him out of schools they want him out of our culture what is it that hates you know they don't really have any problem with religion they don't have a problem with buddha they don't have a problem with any other religions they have a problem with jesus christ there's a reason because behind it there's a principal demon the antichrist it's a spirit
Be careful how you handle the holy. God is slow to anger and all that, but eventually those that mishandle the holy eventually will come under judgment. They will. It'll be severe judgment, whether it's something in the way of their health, um, something negative that happens to them, happens to their family. But whenever you mess with the holy and you keep on and you don't repent, it will bring judgment. The holy things of God, God's house is holy. God's people are holy. God's leaders are holy. Okay, the marriage is holy. The marriage bed is holy. Reverence and respect the holy things of God. In Matthew 12, 22, this is talking about the other side, Antichrist, the anointing, the anointed one. Look at this. My wife and I have seen a lot of this too, Matthew 12, 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute was brought to Jesus, and he healed him, so that the mute man spoke and saw. And the crowds were amazed, and they were saying, this man uh, cannot be the son of David, can he? But when the Pharisees heard this, this is the religious, okay? When they heard this, they said, this man, talking about Jesus, cast out demons only by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So in other words, they were saying Jesus was basically practicing witchcraft. He's doing this through the dark arts by some other spirit of Satan. That's how Jesus is doing this, like he's a, a magician or some kind of a sorcerer. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, any kingdom, against, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided cannot stand. If Satan cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I by Beelzebub cast out demons, then who do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they'll be your judges. But he said, I, if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So Jesus' ministry of healing and deliverance was by the Holy Spirit. See, the Antichrist spirit hates the Holy Spirit, hates the Spirit of God, the anointing and the gifts and all of that. And Jesus went on in this uh, teaching in Matthew 12 down to verse 31 and he said this therefore I say to you any sin or blasphemy shall be forgiven people but the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man it will be forgiven him but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come so be careful how you are with the Holy Spirit notice the word holy you see, the Spirit of God is holy. Be careful how you're treating the Spirit of God and how you're speaking about the Spirit of God. These people that mock moves of God don't realize they're mocking the Holy Ghost. And they're in a lot of danger by doing that. The religious spirit will do anything to discount the supernatural. You ever notice whenever somebody gets healed, the religious community will find any possible explanation to make sure that God gets no recognition of that healing. They are truly an enemy of the Holy Spirit. But we, as those among the household of faith, we need to be careful and be patient. Because even though the good and the bad fish are going to be separated, and there's going to be people that leave that were never of us, and God's going to get rid of them. He gives people space to repent. He gives them time. He works on them, all of that. If they just, they're not going to get right, they're not going to repent, eventually God will drive them out. But there's also people that truly are sincere. They accept Jesus, and they're sincere, but they have a lot of struggles. We've all been there. And so be patient as the Lord sanctifies their life, okay? Also, the religious community here's the thing about religion remember this i'm trying to help people understand a religious spirit the religious spirit wants people to conform to the image of their little group that is a big part of the religious spirit see the religious spirit does not want people to focus on being conformed to the image of jesus christ because that'll rock their little religious boat they want to have their little, what they consider church as usual in their little camp. And they want you to conform to their image. That's religion. 
So see, once we've truly been born of God and God's done a work in our hearts, we'll never be the same. Well, my wife and I have talked about different things like this, but you know, if somebody ever had an encounter with the Lord like I had, they would go to the ends of the earth to have it again. You see, people need an encounter with Jesus Christ, but they're going to have to cry out to him. They're going to have to go after him. 1 John 3, 4 says this, everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, Jesus, there is no sin. No one who abides in him, Jesus, practices sin. No one who abides in, in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So see, there is a place to admonish people to turn away from the things we don't need to be doing and start doing the things that we're supposed to be doing. There is a place in that. He said, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as Jesus is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil is sin from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God, everybody say born of God, born of God. practices sin. All right, because his seed abides in him. So here's another descriptive term. The seed of God is in you. You see, if you were to take a seed of corn and you were to plant it in the ground and water it you know that it's not going to spring up producing wheat it's going to produce produce after its own kind in the same way when god's spirit comes into you the seed of god comes into you you know you're not going to be like these tares or bad fish it's going to produce righteousness in us okay so god's seed abides in us and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So there's got to be a healthy fear of God. And this is what I wanted to get to, and I'm going to start closing with this. But let me just tell you that this, to me, has a lot to do with revival preaching. You know, I preach as a pastor. I preach on a lot of different subjects. I've preached on the end times. I've preached on, uh, you know, marriage and family. I've covered a lot of topics down through the years. But this, is, this needs to be preached, and people need to hear this. And not only this, but this is connected to revival because the Holy Spirit will begin to convict. How many people, if, if there was, you know, some kind of a, a, you know, a bomb that went off in a lot of churches? I want you to think about this for a minute. How many people? in those large congregations, if a bomb went off and killed them all, how many people would actually go to hell? And they're going to be among those that were the many. It says, Lord, Lord, we did this. We did all these things for you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You practiced lawlessness. You lived in sin, and I didn't know you. This type of preaching helps people to examine themselves and make sure that we are who we say we are. So here's a, a, a section here, a healthy fear of God. Luke 12, 4. So this is the message of Jesus also. You know, some people say, well, I don't really like the preaching about hell. Well, it's kind of funny because the one who preached the most about hell in the entire Bible was Jesus Christ. Did you know that? So Luke 12, 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, they have no more that they can do to you. But Jesus says, I warn you whom you're to fear. Fear the one who has, after he has killed the body, has authority cast you into hell. Yes, fear him. So Jesus teaches to have a healthy fear of God. He says, look, people can only do so much. But he says, you're to have a healthy fear of God who can not only kill your body, but can throw you into hell. In Hebrews 10, 26. For if we go on sinning willfully, 
this is a scary portion of scripture. I want you to give me your best ear for a second. If we go on sinning willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment, the fury of a fire which will consume God's enemies. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as, in, as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? He has insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. There's three portions of scripture. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know, this is what it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? So whether people go to church means nothing, whether people do all kinds of religious things means nothing. At the end of the day, we have to have a new birth, we have to be in a blood covenant with God. And the result of that will be that we truly repent. That we live a righteous life. But it says here that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. He said, do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, those are people that have sex outside of marriage. Nor idolaters. Idolatry, okay. Nor adulterers. Nor effeminate. Nor homosexuals nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, swindlers, cheap people, will inherit the kingdom of God. These people, listen to me, Paul said, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians 5.19, the deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, which has to do with witchcraft practices. Enmity, strife, jealousy, outburst of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the, and the like. I forewarned you, just as I did before, that you, those who practice these things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Revelation 21, verse 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral persons at sexual, sexual immorality, sorcerers that has to do with people that practice the occult, idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So in the Bible, in three places I just mentioned, it lists people that live in unrepentant sin, and it says very clearly, these people specifically and clearly will not go to heaven when they die, flat out. And you can break that into six categories to make it simple. The first category is the worship of other gods. I mean, that's number one on the Ten Commandments. Numero uno, right? It says, no other gods before me. Don't make a graven image. Don't bow down to it. Don't have any gods alongside me. God's a jealous God. He doesn't want you to worship him and then all these other false gods. It don't work like that. If you have other gods, you have idolatry, you have occult practices in your life. Number one, that's the list. Basically, six categories of sins to ensure that you'll spend an eternity in hell. That's number one. Number two is sexual immorality of any kind. This is any sex outside of marriage. The only sex that God sanctions is between a husband and wife in the marriage bed. And Jesus even upped the bar when he said, if you look with lust, you commit adultery in your heart. The third category is liars and thieves. These are people that are dishonest. They swindle people. Those people will not go to heaven when they die. The dishonest. The fourth category, drunkards. And this was before there was, you know, drugs, etc. This would be substance abusers. The fifth category is the covetous. People that are lovers of money, they're greedy the covetous and the last category is murderers 
And Jesus upped the bar because he said, if you hate people in your heart, you committed murder. And we know that obviously this culture needs to hear this, but abortion is definitely, without a doubt, not only murder, but it's shedding innocent blood. It is, it is a very serious thing in the eyes of God. So those are six categories of sins. The Bible very clearly says will ensure somebody a place in hell when they die. In John 14, 15, Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Isn't that awesome? 2 Corinthians 4, 3, there's a spiritual battle, and I'm going to close with these last things right here. There's a spiritual battle over people. So I remember I preached along these lines. This kind of made me laugh. Years ago, I went to Finland. And I went there with a group of guys, and we were representing Steve Hill's ministry. It was 2000, I think it was 2004. And they had a big event. I mean, literally, I'm not exaggerating. There was probably at least five, maybe 7,000 young people that were there that descended from all over. And it was this huge tent, and we had to preach. And the Holy Spirit led me to preach along these lines. And, I, you know, if you invite different people, you kind of know what to expect, you know. And those that are familiar with Steve Hill's ministry, just by inviting Steve Hill's ministry, they, you would think that they would know that we were going to be preaching a message of repentance right okay and so they had us come and i remember when it was my turn to get up and preach or whatever i preached along these lines and uh we went representing brother steve so there was just that hit that anointing was just there and it was it was a mighty move of god we saw by the thousands we saw young people this is not an exaggeration all over this huge massive tent they had young people all over the place under the power of god i mean by the thousands it was awesome and I remember I preached along these lines and the Holy Spirit was moving to convict. And see, when the Holy Spirit moved in like that to convict, people were weeping, people were coming down. And I mean, the altars were full of thousands of young people getting right with God. And the, the sinners had no problems, right? The sinners had no problems. They, they received the word of truth. You know who got angry at the message? the religious and there was only a couple of them but they had big mouths they hated that message i'm not going to get into the the controversy of what they believe and why they you know don't like the message of repentance but see the religious spirit has always been the enemy of revival the religious spirit wanted those young people to remain in sin and not come down and repent did you see that i mean that blew my mind and i remember thinking to myself how how stupid could you be and still breathe i'm saying it in love to invite steve hill's ministry here and then not want us to preach a message of repentance but i i rejoice in the fact that even though i was persecuted by a couple religious people that thousands of young people gave their life to jesus during that time amen it was worth it I'd go back and do it again. And I remember Brother Holt warned me. He said he felt as a warning for River of Life that they would be like casualties of war. And what he said was, because I asked him, I said, what, do you, what specifically are you saying here? I'm specific. He said, I feel like there's some that don't have a fear of God like you do. And because they don't have that fear of God, he said they're not going to live right and they're going to be casualties of war the enemy will be able to take them down. And I really prayed about that, and I'm asking God for his mercy in that area. But breaking free from the enemy's grip. Another thing Brother Holt said was about praying conviction off. And what I've seen down through the years is that people come down, and they, they repent, so to speak. You know, they ask God's forgiveness or whatever, and they kind of pray the conviction off of them and then they go out and go right back to it again. Right back into sin. Those are the very people that the Bible's talking about. Lord, Lord, we did all this in your name. And, uh, and Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. We can't just pray something off of us and then go back to sin and think it's going to end well. So the message 
the last three things I'm going to say, but the message is this. Truly being born of God. And out of that new birth, that new creation, you're going to do the things, you're going to begin to do the things you're supposed to do, and you're going to begin to turn from the things you're not supposed to be doing. You know, it is a, a process, but it will happen. Um, breaking free. So here's the last three things. Breaking free from the devil's grip. You remember Jesus healed that man that was by the pool and told him to roll up his mat, carry it, on, carry it home. And, and Jesus found him later in the temple and he warned him. He said, behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore so that nothing worse comes upon you. People open themselves up to all kinds of stuff, all kinds of demonic bondage, all kinds of stuff because of their sin. When Jesus sets us free and touches us, we need to cherish that and not go back to stuff because it'll just open you up to all kinds of stuff. It can be even worse. See, the devil wants to get people back in bondage, but he wants to tighten the screws down to where they may never really break free again. But here's the three things Number one, to really break free, number one is this. You have to cancel the legal ground, the legal permission that the devil has had. That is true confession and repentance. That you go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm guilty. I have sinned. I ask you to forgive me of this sin. Enlist it. Be as specific as you can. But it is a deep confession and repentance of sin. I'm so concerned about some of the, the false doctrine. It's doctrines of demons, I'm just telling you, that's teaching things like this, a hyper-grace movement that's teaching people that you don't have to repent of sin. I mean, that's ridiculous. I don't think anything has been preached quite like that in the last 2,000 years of the church age. That is, it is a ridiculous doctrines of demons. But the Bible says in the latter days there would be doctrines of demons. I'm telling you that we have to confess and repent. The Bible says, how are you going to be forgiven? If you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin. And Jesus taught this guy, go and sin no more. So number one is we've got to truly confess and sincerely repent. That means turn from it and quit doing it. After we confess and repent of our sin, the second thing that we need to do is destroy the devil's works. And just like I read earlier in 1 John 3, verse 8, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil sin from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. So after you've confessed your sin, the blood of Jesus will wash that away and the legal ground that the enemy had access to your life is now being cleared away by the blood of Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So the blood of animals in the old covenant could only cover. But the blood of Jesus will wash it away. So you had the legal ground canceled. Now is destroying the works of the devil. And this is where we begin to take authority over Satan's works. Like this, in the name of Jesus, I take authority. I destroy every curse, every bondage, everything the devil's had. I break that in Jesus' name. I command it to leave my life. You begin to destroy the works of the devil. Destroy generational curses. Destroy bondages in the mind. Destroy oppression, things coming against you in, in different areas. Physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, relationally. Destroy the devil's works. And then number three is that we take authority and expel the enemy. The Bible says in Mark 16, 17, these signs will follow them that believe in my name. They will cast out demons and speak in new tongues. So there is a driving out of the demonic. And as we drive out the demonic, we begin with the strong man. Don't forget that because you can try to deal with some underling spirits and they're not going to move until you deal with the strong man. So as we're dealing with this, I'm going to 
I recommended last week a book by De uh, Becky Dvorak, and it's written, it's called Conquering the Spirit of Death. I really recommend people get that book. But there's something about the spirit of death, I believe, is trying to oppress. And Python comes in like a spirit of death, tries to squeeze the life, squeeze the breath. And it tries to create like stubborn health problems, chronic things. There's a spirit of death. The Bible's clear. I talked about last week, gave scripture. I don't have it right now to go back into. But the spirit of death has to do with premature death. People can open themselves up to it by different ways, just getting into sin. But specifically, if you get into things like hatred and a spirit of murder, or you get into depression and like a spirit of suicide, those things are actually a spirit of death. And so it can literally squeeze the life. And so I encourage people to read that and pray about it because as a pastor, you want people to really be free from any type of a spirit of death or a spirit of infirmity. All right, if we can get my wife in here, that'd be great. I'm going to pray, and I want people to really spend some time right now praying for a minute, and let's do what the Apostle Paul said. Let's examine ourselves and make sure that we're in the faith, okay? Make sure that we're born of God, we've repented of sin, there's sometimes that there's such a rebellion, such a stubbornness. I hate it, but sometimes I've seen this with people. It's literally going to take something really difficult. A hospital bed, under a bridge, a prison cell, whatever. It takes something really devastating to really break them down to a place to where they're humble enough to really open themselves up and repent and get right with God. It shouldn't take that. God is extending his hand of mercy. That should be enough. How about we just do it the easy way instead of the hard way? Let's respond to the Holy Ghost and be born of God and repent and deal with things instead of God having to bring a crushing and deal with it in a very difficult way. But Lord, I just pray for those that are hearing this. And even where you're at, just pray. Ask God's forgiveness of things. But the Bible says to look to Jesus. If you <clears throat> confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So look to the cross. Look to Jesus as your source. He died in your place. And if you'll humble yourself and ask him, say, Jesus, forgive me for my sin. I repent. I turn from it. Let me be born again, a new creation in you. I give my life to you. Forgive me, Lord. I turn from the old. And I give my life completely to you, that you transform me. I want a new birth and a being a blood covenant with you. Look to him and deal with it. You can shut down recordings and go ahead and play something just in the background. But spend a few moments praying about that, guys. Let's make sure everything, examine yourselves. I don't want to be among those that go 